This is the GP Soccer Podcast with your host, Giovanni Piccini. Everyone, Giovanni Piccini here, your host of the GP Soccer Podcast, Season 9. This is the kickoff show of Season 9. I'm so terribly happy to be back with all of you uh, once again. As you know, uh, you're regular listeners of the show, and I do have a great many regular listeners, which is always a good thing. Uh, we take a couple of months off uh, in the summer and then a couple of months off in the wintertime, a little bit of a hiatus. But then we come back strong. Uh, in those uh, alternating times of the year uh, to bring you the very, very best uh, in all things soccer. Now, if, if you sense in my voice a little bit more of excitement than I typically have, and certainly a little bit more excitement than I typically have for a season opener, which is today, it's because the GP Soccer Podcast has been totally reformatted. Well, well, what does that mean, reformatted? It means I have just changed the structure of the show. In those times off, uh, as I noted to you a second or two ago, I, I just don't sit at the beach or you know or uh, you know do nothing. There's a lot of time spent here in the studio trying to make the show better and you know organizing for the uh, the next season. And I decided um, just to revamp the show, just totally revamp the show. Not that it was you know the format I had in the past was not good or it didn't work. Heck, it worked wonderfully. I've got you know you, my wonderful listening audience, thousands of you from around the world, but it was time for a fresh start. And I always say that uh, the GP Soccer podcast is is always a, or should be, a, a mini coaching education course. And I think for all intent and purposes, it has been. Well, well now it's going to be more so. Um, so what, what, what is the change in structure? Well, it's going to be more player development and coach development driven. I've, I've, I've uh, created some new segments that I really think you, my listening audience, is super, super going to enjoy. I know I've enjoyed putting some of these pieces together already because, you know, one of the, one of the things I do before the season starts is record interviews and record segments, put them in the can, so to speak, and then piece it all together with, with fresh fresh commentary, as I'm doing right now, for each and every week. So we'll, you know, we'll open the show just like I'm doing now with my opening comments, and it could be any number of things. It could be my, uh, my take on a particular... Uh, singular topic or you want to check some boxes which is I sometimes like to do and that's and that's about a 10 minute a 10 minute opening um, the newest the new part that I'm uh, that, that I will be featuring here in the GP soccer podcast uh, is conversation with the coach very excited about that uh, it's a 15 to 20 minute singular topic conversation with a coach uh, where we have some give and take some back and forth about this singular topic and I really like this because it gives me a chance, it gives my guest a chance to really zero in on, on one area of the game um, and something that we really like to talk about, kind of do a deep dive in. I think you're going to like it as well because you can look forward to the singular topic and and uh, enjoy the fact that that me, that I, and my guest will, uh, you know, we'll, we'll do, again, once again, a, a deep dive. Um, I'm very pleased to announce also we're going to have what's called Coach's Corner. And that's about a five or six minute 
you know, it's it's a tips thing. It's a it's an advice thing, and it's something that uh, you'll you'll have you'll hear some uh, guest coaches contributing on Coach's Corner. You're going to hear yours truly. Uh, you know, do some segments in Coach's Corner. But ladies and gentlemen, Coach's Corner, what I really foresee is is for you. It's about you. Uh, if you send in a question for Coach's Corner and you send it into GP4Soccer, and that's the number four at yahoo.com, and if I think it's pretty good, I think it's worthy of airing, then it will be a featured topic on Coach's Corner. And it's a great opportunity for you to reach out to me or even one of my, my guest uh, contributors to answer a question that you might have. Super excited about that. Uh, a, a returning feature, because there's some things that, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, will be the European report by my good friend and colleague, Rob Ellis. He will be doing his uh, uh, his weekly report on what's happening in the English Premier League and what's happening in all the major leagues uh, over in Europe. It has been very well received when I introduced him the last couple of seasons. And heck, uh, good friend, good good commentator, great analyst. Why not keep that as part of the show? Um, so you're going to find, ladies and gentlemen, that not only am I, am I featuring some, some new segments, but I'm going to, I'm tightening up the show. Well, what does that mean? Well, the GP Soccer Podcast up until now has been, you know, an hour and 15 minutes, sometimes an hour and 20. Sometimes it's been an hour and a half, hour and 30. It can be kind of all over the place. I wanted to tighten up the show to about an hour. We may go a shade under, we may go a shade over, but it's an hour show. Uh, I have found, uh, doing research relative to other podcasts that are out there, that the average listener will tune in for an hour show. And anything above and beyond that, you had better have some pretty outstanding, compelling uh, conversation or content to keep the listeners engaged. So I've tightened up the show in terms of the the time um, you know that that uh, that the show will, will be aired. Speaking of which, this hasn't changed. Every single Wednesday, as has been the case since season number one, uh, a brand new episode of the GP Soccer Podcast uh, will be aired. Um, wherever you listen to your podcasts, wherever you find them, wherever you download them, wherever you stream your podcast, you will find the GP Soccer Podcast. So very, very excited about, about all of that um, you, know, you know, going forward. It has been, as you all know, a pretty exciting summer. Uh, we had the Women's World Cup. Congratulations to Spain uh, for, for doing an absolutely magnificent job um, in winning that uh, winning the title, uh, winning that championship, winning a World Cup. I, I don't think there's much argument as the tournament went on. Despite one hiccup they might have had against Japan, uh, this was probably the, the preeminent, the, 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 the cream of the crop, so to speak, in terms of the, the type of play uh, that they... Uh, that they exhibited. Our U.S. women, as we all know by now, uh, got bumped out, uh, you know, in the knockout phase and uh, struggled, struggled in group play. And uh, as every game went by, the the thoughts, the hopes, the predi- the predictions uh, were starting to to wane, if you will, relative to their ability to win a World Cup. And as we all know by now, that just did not happen. And it uh, opened up a proverbial Pandora's box relative to what do we do now? Uh, Latko Andonovsky, women's coach, did step down. Uh, there's been some shakeup at, at U.S. soccer on the women's side uh, as well. The search now is on for a, a new coach for this next cycle. Uh, what it did do, ladies and gentlemen, was expose a couple of things. We hear, uh, it's almost cliche, I guess now, 
the rest of the world has caught up. The rest of the world has caught up. And they have. They have caught up rapidly, rapidly. And they've caught up because the methods, the strategies, the philosophies, uh, the approaches relative to coach and particularly player development in these first world soccer nations, these um, you know, these, these high-level nations such as Spain, such as Spain, well, they just basically have plugged that or those approaches, if you will, into developing women. And boy, fast track. Uh, we've seen some terrific, terrific uh, play from a number of nations. What it also exposed was the weaknesses in our American player development system. And I'm going to talk a heck of a lot more about this, you know, uh, you know, going full, but I'm gonna, I'll, I'll kind of breeze over a little bit now. Um, you know, here we are in 2023, and, and let, let me let me stop myself right there. You know, I, I'm not I'm not you know diminishing what these what these women have done. Their, their you know their ability to play and how they represent our country and the history going back to the first World Cup in 1991 has been nothing short of spectacular. Nothing short of spectacular. Um, but but the current system approach mentality. Um, that we are now in the midst of, and it's driven by U.S. soccer, they are the federation, uh, has shown that the way we develop players is not sufficient enough to create the kind of players as we saw, like, for example, in Spain. The creative, ball-possessing, fluid, beautiful uh, method by which they they uh, attacked and, had, and went in possession of the ball. The way they defended, the counter-pressing, to get the ball back, to once again keep wonderful possession. I'm sorry, but we don't have that here in the United States of America, at least on our women's side. And, and goodness knows we could talk a whole hundred shows about what's happening on the men's side. That's a that's a story for another day. Uh, but again, you know, an eventful summer. Um, Messi, my goodness, the magic of Messi. Uh, as I record this, uh, Inter-Miami hasn't lost yet. You know, Inter hasn't lost yet. Uh, in one of the new features that you'll hear today, uh, I will do a soccer news and analysis, and I will kind of touch upon the, the magic of Messi and a little bit of analysis there. But my goodness, what he has done for not just MLS, but uh, the game in this country in such a short period of time is nothing short of phenomenal. Nothing short of phenomenal in every aspect, on the field, off the field, media, uh, you know, sporting culture, awareness, sporting culture awareness outside of the sport of soccer, that being amongst you know our, our other major sports here in this country, uh, casual uh, observers of the game are no longer casual. They are, they're caught up by, who is this messy guy? What is it all about? And, uh, and the more they see, the more they learn, the more they hear, the more they become enthralled with uh, what uh, uh, Lionel Messi is all about and what he's capable of doing and what he's doing right now here in the United States of America. What he's doing right now here in the United States of America. So I don't want to get I don't want to get too off track here. Um, you know I could cram a lot here in this opening uh, opening segment here, but it's I try to keep the opening segment tight in the new format. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna be true to my word. Giovanni Pacini here, the GP Soccer Podcast, season nine. My goodness, who ever would have thought years ago that we'd get to season nine? But here we are. Uh, we're gonna break for a commercial, and then on the other side of the commercial, I'm gonna be introducing conversation with the coach and our first guest will be the great and good friend Keith Tozer, uh, a name you all know when it comes to all things futsal. Giovanni Pacini here, GP Soccer Podcast. Don't you dare go anywhere.
In the Soccer Coaches Toolkit, those who teach the game will find a wealth of coaching activities to improve, stimulate, and provide enjoyment for players of all ages and abilities. UEFA B licensed coach and Chelsea FC Player Development Center head coach Rob Ellis has drawn on more than 20 years of soccer coaching and physical education teaching experience to provide only those activities he has successfully used time and time again to engage and inspire his players. Each activity is graded from beginner to advanced, and they foster fresh and exciting ideas to coach the main techniques and tactics of soccer. The 252 coaching activities included in the Soccer Coaches Toolkit are also accompanied by an easy-to-understand description and diagram. The activities require only basic coaching equipment and can be adapted to challenge players of varying ability levels and needs. Soccer coaches at all levels of the game can use the activities to create one-off sessions for their players or use the activities to deliver regular sessions as part of a competitive training program. It is an ideal resource for both grassroots and elite youth coaches and will enhance both the players' and teams' development. The book is on sale worldwide and has scored a massive hit with professional coaches and players alike. Former Tottenham Hotspur youth coach John Rowan described the Soccer Coaches Toolkit as an astounding book. I consider it the Bible of soccer coaching. Head of Football Methodology at Monaco said of the Soccer Coaches Toolkit, it is a very useful book for coaches to widen their session database and provide variety in their coaching. Head of Soccer Development at Christ College Secondary School in London, Daniel Nielsen called the Soccer Coaches Toolkit a truly comprehensive library of drills and sessions for the whole spectrum of soccer techniques and tactics. In addition, the book has already been purchased and endorsed by former Wolverhampton Wanderers and Sunderland defender Jody Craddock, as well as ex-Leicester City striker Trevor Benjamin and Sutton United defender Joe Kizzy. The Soccer Coaches Toolkit is the ticket to a lifetime of soccer coaching ideas, a must-book to include in your soccer coaching library. Hi, guys. This is Allison Foley from Foley Athletic Advising, and you're listening today to the GP Soccer Podcast with the one, the only, the great Giovanni Puccini. And welcome to the GP Soccer Podcast, Conversation with the Coach. And welcome to the GP Soccer Podcast, Season 9. Season 9, my goodness, we've been here for such a long time. And our our segment of the show here called Conversation with the Coach. Um, this has been a lot of fun, uh, you know, doing doing these segments and putting them together and um, and then uh, getting getting them all ready for for a broadcast uh, into season nine. Our guest today uh, on uh, Conversation with the Coach here in the GP Soccer Podcast is a longtime friend of the show, um, and you you'll you'll know him immediately as I mentioned his name. It's Keith Tozer. Keith is the commissioner of the Major Arena Soccer League. He's a FIFA and CONCACAF futsal instructor, technical director for U.S. Youth Futsal. He's a former U.S. Men's National Futsal Team head coach for 20 years and without question, a legendary player and coach in the Major Indoor Soccer League, uh, having amassed, my goodness, 700 wins. Keith, my good friend, welcome to the GP Soccer Podcast Conversation with the Coach. Giovanni, should I call you the boss? <laughs> you know, I know, I know, 
We're, we're talking about your love of Springsteen, boy, and to see him 62 times is fabulous. But it's great to be on the show. Good to hear your voice again. Same here, my friend. Same here. I'll, I'll try to the best of my ability to not sneak Bruce Springsteen into our conversation, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, it's always great to have you on. Before we you know, we get into the major arena soccer league and, and what that's all about, let's go back in time for just a moment, if we will, Keith. And let's talk about the, the major indoor soccer league, which... You know, in its time, you know, it was was a, a legendary indoor league, and and arguably, arguably, the link between the respective outdoor leagues, the the, the then North American Soccer League, and the now Major League Soccer. Let's go back in time a little bit, Keith, and, and share with my audience a bit of the, the the history, if you will, of the Major Indoor Soccer League. Well, it, it's funny because you know I played soccer at Oneonta State. Uh, university. You had another school in that town, Hartwick College. And at that time, both schools were super powerhouses in Division One. In my senior year, uh, I was invited to go to an Olympic training camp out in Colorado Springs. Um, came back from that, had my, was in the middle of my fall season and I was getting ready to be drafted to, uh, into the NASL, Washington Diplomats, uh, had interest in me. And then, Middle of November, I get a call from Keith Von Aaron, goalkeeper from Harwick, and he goes, congrats. And I go, for what? He goes, you were just drafted number one in the league to the major North soccer league. And I was like, what? And, you know, Ed Tepper and uh, Earl Foreman started this league. I, I called the, the agent. Um, next thing you know, I was talking to Pete Rose. I signed a contract, and I'm heading to Cincinnati to play for the Cincinnati kids. And the rest is history. Share with my audience a little bit uh, what those experiences were like. Heck, like any new league, and I guess you could say the North American Soccer League in its first couple of years, and certainly Major League Soccer in its first couple of years, you know, you you go through speed bumps, speed bumps as players, speed bumps as coaches, speed bumps, heck, as an organization as a whole, trying to make your way into the U.S. soccer landscape. Share with my audience some of those, heck, let's call them speed bumps for the, for the lack of better words, and some of the challenges that you and the league had to overcome to, you know, kind of get up and running and going. Yeah, the challenge that me and Ty Keel and Doc Lawson and the rest of the guys from the Olympic pool faced pretty much right away because I was a broke college kid and I called the diplomats and I said, I got great news. I'm going to be playing indoor soccer. I'm going to make some money. And I'm going to be fit and ready to come to you, you know, come springtime. And uh, they said, no, we don't want you to play indoor. And I said, I'm going to make this money. So uh, Doc Lawson and I were teammates. Um, a bunch of other guys went into the league, and we kind of got blackballed. So when the NASL draft came, we didn't get drafted. But as you know, when teams start losing, then players become more important. Some of us went uh, into the NASL. I went into the ASL. Uh, so that was kind of the first speed bump that I found going in indoor early. Uh, as far as the league was concerned, uh, you know, six teams turned into 12 teams, turned into 18. Some teams folded. Then there was the battle of the NASL versus the MISL. That was the first big league battle. Uh, and the NASL went indoor to try to compete against the MISL. Uh, but then the NASL folded in indoor and then the league folded altogether. So, uh, it was great moments for many of us, but at the same time, there was a pathway that was, you know, somewhat uh, bumpy, but here we are. And during that time, and you know, cause you were there and you were amongst them. My goodness, there were some legendary players 
that uh, played in the major indoor soccer league. Steve Jungle, and, and as I'm talking, these names are flooding to the forefront of my brain. But Steve Jungle immediately comes comes to mind, uh, you know, as one of the legendary players. Again, share with my audience some of those players that that um, you know that were maybe not household names during that time, but became household names, became terrific players, and then went on to you know make their name uh, even in the outdoor game. Well, let's let's talk about probably the biggest name early on. I, I used to go to the Meadowlands. And used to go watch Beckenbauer and Pele and, mm-hmm. and Dennis Tour and Stevie Hunt and Kanaya, but also Shep Messing. And obviously Shep was an American playing with mostly the top foreign players in the world. So it was kind of great to always go watch him. Next thing you know, remember drafting in November, started playing in January, uh, actually December, December 22nd, 1978 was the first MISL game. There I am standing on one end of the field in Nassau Coliseum. And the guy that I would go to the Meadowlands in front of 78,000 people and, and watch him play, I'm playing against him. So for me, that was so awesome. But at the same time, Steve Zungle, who we just mentioned, uh, one of the top, if not the top goal scorer in the history of indoor soccer, he was out there along with Broncos of Goat and all these other great players. And, and just recently, uh, Steve Zungo was named uh, to uh, the Hall of Fame here in the United States. So uh, he was a great player. Uh, and, of course, Shep, now I'm working with him. He's the chairman of our league. So it's been a great, great run so far. Yeah, you know, as a, as a former goalkeeper and a goalkeeper guy, my idols, idol in, in terms of a goalkeeper growing up was Shep Messing. Um, you know, he was, he was a legendary American goalkeeper. I mean, you could arguably say that he gave the MISL some, some instant credibility. Uh, obviously he played for the New York arrows. Yeah. Um, you know, he's, um, yeah, he, 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 he raised the, um, uh, the cachet of the league just, um, you know, by his signing back in 1978. Yeah. You said it, you know, he raised the bar because everybody knew Shep and the MISL, the, the commissioners went out and made him the first signing in the league. That gave credibility right away to the New York Arrows and to the game of indoor soccer. Everybody said, oh, my God, Shep Messing is playing indoor. At that time, remember, he was doing the Skull tobacco commercials. Yes. He was in front of magazines. He was at Studio 54. He was a great-looking guy and a great player. And and one thing I'll always remember is that not only Shep was a great shot blocker uh, and a great saver, right, of, of, of some goals, he was great with distribution. He already knew where Zungle was before he even got the ball. Because I, there was one time I was marking Zungle, and Shep came up instantaneous after making a save and hit Zungle on a fly, and I just watched him going and score. But Shep had a lot of attributes, both on and off the field. He 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 was really the star player, uh, similar to maybe Beckham coming to MLS years ago. Yeah, and I can also think of Precky who obviously made his name as an indoor player, but then went on to make his name as an outdoor player. And I correct me if I'm wrong, had a very brief stint with the U S men's national team and his, his roots, if you will, in terms of his notoriety and impact was in the indoor game. Yeah. Well, he played in Everton out, uh, outdoor in the, you know, in the English league. And, and then of course he started here and then he went back outdoor and he coached in them. MLS. He also had Fernando Golfillo, right? Fernando, correct. you know, was yep. a star defender on that team. Dave DeRico, uh, David starred with the Arrows and also starred with the U.S. national team. So there, there are so many players that started in the MISL as well as front office staff and coaches 
that are now still embedded into the game of outdoor uh, here in the United States. So let's shift gears. Now we kind of laid the historical groundwork, if you will, about the indoor game here in the United States through the MISL, the major indoor soccer league. And here we are, uh, the major arena soccer league. And, you know, as I, and you know me, you and, you and I have talked about this so many times over, I'm a soccer nerd when it comes to the history of the game in this country. And in going through some of the names of the of the franchises, I can't help but have some flashback. Milwaukee Wave, the, the Baltimore Blast, the San Diego Soccers, the Rochester Lancers. These, these are legendary, iconic names and franchises that uh, have now found their way through the major uh, arena soccer league. So, Keith, share with my audience. Um, you know, the genesis of the major arena soccer league, uh, where did it come from? Um, how did it get started? Uh, the people you work with, you mentioned uh, Shep Messing, and I know you you work alongside the legendary J, uh, J.P. Della Camera as well. How'd this all get going? Well, basically, it just changed names. So, you know, the major indoor soccer league uh, dwarfed into the NPSL, and then the NPSL right. back into the MASL. So, really, a lot of the same people, same game. It just was a name change, working on some branding. Uh, but the sport is still there. It's, it's growing now. I'm extremely proud, like you said, to be along with Chef and to be along with JP Della Camera. I don't think I would have done this job on my own, uh, if it wasn't without Chef and JP. I mean, JP took over the reins for everything that's media in the league. Chef took over thing, everything that was, you know, expansion and sponsorship. And then I got the soccer side, but then we all talk, uh, amongst ourselves about every aspect of the league. Uh, and as you said, you know, we got legendary teams, Dallas sidekicks also. Uh, and then we got, you know, St. Louis ambush, San Diego soccers, Empire strikers, uh, and the list goes on and on. And, and we've added teams. Chihuahua came into the league a couple of years ago and they've already won the championship. Uh, we have Guadalajara now coming in, which gives us three Mexican teams. So the league is growing. We've learned a lot. We've got a long way to go, but extremely proud and honored to be part of this group. And are you finding along the way here, Keith, because at the end of the day, let's let's be frank, sports is a business. Sports is a business. There, there is indeed a bottom line. Um, as you have, you know, existed uh, to this point, are you finding you're uh, getting more corporate sponsors? Is it, is it easier to tout the league to, uh, you know, the corporates in you know, corporate America to, to pump some dough into the league? H- how has that process gone for the league relative to the business side of it all? Yeah, if you talk to some people, some people would say it's slow. I say we're ahead of the ball game because when we first took over, uh, some people thought we'd be right on NBC, CBS, Fox, or whatever. But what we really needed to do was shine the car, put new tires on, you know, kind of make the game a little bit more uniform, um, before we went to the big networks. Uh, uh, one of the things that Shep did, um, we brought in guy, named Rob Stryer, Chief uh, Strategy Officer, uh, very well connected in the National Hockey League and European soccer. He took the reins of selling sponsorships, uh, went from YouTube to Twitch, which brought millions of different eyeballs to the game. Obviously, JP's connection with Sirius FM and got games in the finals on that. So those those things have really been helping. I think before you jump, you got to build a foundation. And I think we built the foundation. I think I think now we're really at the point to get this thing going fast. And, and then add the success of Major League Soccer. Add the success of Messi coming. Add the success of the World Cup coming here in 26. 
which even helps indoor, believe it or not. When you put all those things together, I really think now we've got this car ready to really take off, and I think it is going to take off. You know, you, you, one of my show notes here was talking about the spilling over of soccer popularity. And I guess you, I just kind of nailed it there, you know, relative to the, you know, the, the popularity now of major league soccer. Um, it's been around for a number of years since 1996. Uh, certainly, certainly the arrival of Messi can now, even though in his short stint can arguably say maybe the, the single biggest, uh, impact on the game here in the United States. And I guess it can't help but spill over. I'll use that term, if you will into the major arena soccer league it's soccer and it's a it's another another facet of the game where people can go out and, and enjoy watching soccer um so yeah i think you're you're absolutely you know you're, you're you're spot on with that are there any relationships keith you know formally informally are there any um you know uh you know, sharing of ideas with the major arena soccer league and that of major league soccer or are you pretty much two separate entities you're two separate separate business operations, and heck, we don't talk about it to each other. Not because we don't like each other, but we're different beasts. Does that that does that take place, or, or even not take place? No, we we are two separate entities. There's no question uh, because of JP's and Shep's relationships as well as mine. There's nothing that's written down, but we do know people in Major League Soccer that we can call and ask for advice, or you know, try to think about what we can do moving forward. Uh, Don Garber actually graduated the same year that I did at Oneonta State University. So, so I know Don, but don't know Don really well. So there hasn't really been anything official, but th the more successful they are, the more successful the other outdoor leagues are and only helps us, uh, across the major arena soccer. Like I, that, that U.S. Open Cup game semifinal Cincinnati and Miami. Mm -hmm. I mean, the crowd. It, if you didn't know it was Cincinnati, you would think it would be in Europe, right? Um, Absolutely. And the level of and the level of play, and you know Messi, uh, who grew up in Argentina, and a lot of these other players grew up playing uh, street soccer, futsal. Uh, if you look at the Spanish women who just won the World Cup, uh, there's another thing too. If we can get some of those big players uh, to come in indoor, I think we would have that impact also. I mean, what? It, it, it's all, everything's timing. Pele was the first, Beckham was the second, and no disrespect to all the other great players that came. And Messi's now kind of like almost a frosting because when Pele was here, you know, outdoor soccer was there, yes, but it, it wasn't where, you know, it is in the rest of the world. Then, then came Beckham. Now MLS was now on the radar, but now Messi's here and Major League Soccer's on, you know, Jordi Alba comes and all these other players. So it's it's only going to help indoor, but if we could get a player of that statue in indoor, wow, what it would do for our league and for the game. I think it's just a matter of time. Maybe I'm being a bit of a bit of a fan here. I am, but I think it's just a matter of time where that that's that's maybe an inevitability where you get that level of player. Let's let's wrap up um, conversation with the coach um, and let's talk about let's spend some time talking about the combine. Share with my audience, um, you know, about the combine for those who'd wish to maybe someday uh, don a uniform of the major indoor soccer league and play the professional game indoors. Yeah, one of the first things that we felt that we needed to do, we, JP, myself, John Raymond, Rob, Shep, was that we needed to get the game of indoor soccer back into the conversation uh, of soccer here in North America. We, we kind of got lost. I mean, Major League Soccer has been growing exponentially. 
you have the women's game grown exponentially. Uh, futsal has done a great job of, of becoming not only a game on its own, but a, a developer. Um, so we, we feel that uh, indoor can be the same. So we got a college draft. We went to the coaches convention and we started the player combine last year to give young players the ability, you know, to have a different pathway back to the outdoor game or just stay as an indoor player. And last year's combine was far exceeded our expectations. We had well over 100 players that came to Dallas, uh, Mesquite. Uh, we had training sessions for them. Every coach was there. Uh, they played a series of games. We used the old names of the L.A. Lasers and New York Arrows uh, to name the teams. And then on Sunday, we had a college draft. And so players came, trained, learned from the coaches, were evaluated from the coaches, which was awesome, then got drafted and went up on the stage just like the NBA or the NFL. And this year, we have Utica City FC uh, hosting it this year, and we're looking for bigger and better things. But this is a great opportunity for young players uh, during the winter months who want to sharpen their skills, their game, uh, make good money, uh, travel. Um, so, MASLsoccer.com, come join us at the Combine October 19th through the 26th in Utica. And the logistics, someone listening to the show and they're they're hearing this for the first time, um, you know, cost implications, uh, the selection process, and what's the schedule look like yeah. relative to the, the whole process? Share with my audience that that those important facts and logistics. Yeah, let's let's first talk about the cost. To register costs $25, a non-refundable fee, uh, and then the price is $575. Uh, but however, and, and we talk to a lot of people. Uh, both, uh, in the outdoor leagues, uh, about the price. Now, when a player comes to Utica, that 575 covers their hotel for Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. The, the first cut is after the morning session on Saturday. But we didn't want to tell a young player, hey, by the way, if you get cut, you, you got to get a hotel room. So cut or stay, you still have all your food and your hotel, uh, through Sunday, which we thought was very important and, and very professional. Um, opening ceremonies orientation is Thursday night. So everybody arrives on Thursday. Their first session, believe it or not, we felt that because a lot of players didn't play indoor, that they needed to learn some methodology and terminology. So their first session, there's two teams on the field at a time for four. We had 18. Uh, what do you, offensive methodology, defensive methodology. Then they have games Saturday, uh, Friday afternoon, Friday night, Saturday morning, and we have our first cut. What's cool? Ryan Sigich is our head of referees. He has a referee combine going at the same time. So as he has the veteran referees, he also has now the younger referees working the games. He's on a headset so he can talk to them uh, from the stand. So you got referees, you got players, you got coaches, you got our entire league. It's really, really been a, a great journey so far. And all of that information can be found on MASLsoccer.com, everything that Keith kind of laid out. And you can also go uh, on that site and uh, apply. Uh, there is a, a page there that says Combine on the very bottom. You can uh, you can fill out and, and make your potentially make your way to becoming a professional indoor soccer player. Well, Keith Tozer, my, my longtime friend, it's always a pleasure to have you on here, the GP Soccer Podcast, in particular now, our, our new format here, uh, Conversation with the Coach. Uh, I look forward to having you back on on uh, future shows as well. Gail, it's always been a pleasure. I love the podcast. So people keep listening and tell your friends to tune in uh, and hopefully see you at a game sometime soon. 
Absolutely, positively. Again, Keith Tozer, our good friend, uh, commissioner of the Major Indoor Soccer, Major Arena Soccer League. We're going to break for a commercial message. You know how that works on the other side. Uh, we'll come back with Coach's Corner. Don't you dare go anywhere. Cancer. We all know someone whose life has been impacted by this deadly disease. A friend, a colleague, a family member, someone in your community. No one is immune from it. But as each day passes, the fight continues to find a cure that one day will eradicate cancer from all our lives. One of the ways you can join the fight is through Red Card Cancer. Its mission is a call to action to help defeat the world's biggest opponent by uniting the global game of soccer in the fight against cancer. Together with the American Cancer Society, the soccer community is raising money and awareness for cancer research. If you or your soccer organization would like to support the American Cancer Society and Red Card Cancer, head over to redcardcanceracs.org as well as redcardcancer.org. Red Card Cancer, where a cure is our goal. Hello, this is Anson Dorrance. I'm the women's soccer coach at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And I am here on the GP Soccer Podcast with Giovanni Pacini. And welcome to the GP Soccer Podcast, Coach's Corner, where you'll find great tips and advice on how to teach the great game of soccer. This is David Hart, and I'm the head girls soccer coach at Freiburg Academy in Freiburg, Maine. It's a pleasure to be on the GP Soccer Podcast, Coach's Corner. And today I'd like to talk to you about Guest coaching. I've been thinking about this for a little bit and wanted to share some thoughts about guest coaching. One of the things is uh, over the years, I've worked alongside some great coaches. I've seen coaches do incredible sessions. I've uh, been taught by some very uh, cool coaches and some coaches that had some really interesting ideas. And so for many years now, I've uh, invited various people to come and um, spend a day, maybe a session, maybe two sessions with our girls' high school program. And I find that to be extraordinary experience for not only myself, but for the players. Uh, one of the things as a, as a coach, as I guess we all know, is we can be a little bit uh, egotistical or a little bit uh, protective of our, of our programs. And we might come up with excuses such as, well, um, it's my team, I don't need any help, or um, there's not enough time, I, I got so many other things to concentrate on, I just can't have this other person coming in and kind of getting us off track, or maybe, oh, that coach does something different than I do, and I don't want to get the kids confused in terms of our tactics or our techniques. Uh, I, I say, I say the opposite. I say, uh, there's a great opportunity, at least at the high school level. I don't know if uh, Jurgen Klopp is inviting coaches at Liverpool to do things with him, but maybe he is. Um, but I think it's a great opportunity for um, uh, your athletes to hear a different voice. And what I often do is I'll ask someone to come in, um, particularly with a, a, a girls program. Having a female coach come in is a, a, a really great experience that the girls can see, hey, you know, if I want to coach, uh, there are people out there that do this for a living. So that kind of gives them a, a, a firsthand uh, knowledge and introduction to um, uh, women who are coaching in the game. 
what I normally do is I will talk with the coach and talk about what we're trying to accomplish. And uh, they will have some insight and some of their own ideas in terms of a topic. Uh, it's it's sort of a no-brainer. I guess the easiest thing to think about in terms of a guest coach is uh, having a goalkeeper coach come in. Most of us don't have the um, staff where we have a, a goalkeeper coach on part-time or even full-time. So that that's sort of a no-brainer to have someone come in and and give their expertise and their time to your players, uh, which goes a, a, a long, long way. So, but I normally will talk to the coach and we'll come up with an idea and then I kind of let them run with it. And they come, the, uh, the girls to a player have said it was a great experience. Sometimes they'll come in with a different voice. You might be actually teaching the same topic two weeks ago or two weeks later. And the girls didn't, re it didn't resonate with the girls, but all of a sudden now you have this other person come in, might even teach the same topic. And all of a sudden now, oh, that's a great idea. Oh, I understand it better. I understand what we're doing now. And away you go. So not only do they get um, a different perspective, they hear someone different who has some different ideas. And, and really selfishly for me and for our coaching staff is the idea that I will always learn something. No matter if it's the same coach that comes back year after year, there is always at least one thing and, and normally many things that I get to see, I get to think about, I get to observe and um, maybe decide to put into my repertoire as a coach or at least kind of put it in my, my notebook as something to consider uh, going forward. So I highly encourage you to consider uh, asking a guest coach to come and work with your players. And I think both you and your players uh, could benefit greatly from that experience. So this is Dave Hart, and that's today's coaching tip here on the GP Soccer Podcast Coaches Corner. This is Soccer News and Analysis with Giovanni Puccini. Vera Powell's four-year tenure as coach of Ireland's women's team will end when her current deal expires. The Football Association of Ireland board announced that Powell won't be retained despite leading the country to its first Women's World Cup. Powell was also in the headlines this year when she denied allegations of, quote, abusive and inappropriate methods during her time as coach of the NWSL's Houston Dash. Ireland was eliminated in the group stage of the tournament after losses to co-host Australia and Canada and a draw with Nigeria. Having helped France win trophies as a prolific forward, Thierry Henry wants to lead Les Bleus to a long-awaited Olympic gold medal in his new role as coach. Henri was hired as coach of the national under-21 men's team on a two-year contract, and he will also lead the France team at the 2024 Paris Olympics. The French Olympic team last won gold in the 1984 games in Los Angeles. Quote, it's been a long time since we've won. There's a problem somewhere. We're going to have to try to solve it, Henri said at his first news conference. Henri helped France win the 1998 World Cup and the European Championship two years later, scoring 51 goals in his career with the national team. But the transition to coaching has not always been smooth. Henri had two spells as a Belgium assistant coach. He also coached Monaco, where he was fired after a difficult spell. And Montreal, of the maid of Major League Soccer. 
Brazil winger Vinicius Jr. will not play the two opening matches of the World Cup qualifying because of a right hamstring injury, the country's soccer federation said. Spain's government began a move to oust suspended soccer chief Luis Rubiales, who ended a week of silence by insisting he was the victim of a smear campaign. Rubiales has faced a storm of criticism and calls for his resignation for his behavior during and after Spain's recent World, Women's World Cup triumph in Sydney, Australia. He kissed player Jenny Hermoso on the lips without consent and grabbed his crotch in a lewd victory gesture. A Spanish government legal panel handling sports issues opened a formal case against Rubiales, president of the Spanish Football Federation and as, as vice president of UEFA over his conduct that was televised globally, making him a national embarrassment. Spain is hoping to remove him independently of a FIFA process that has already suspended him provisionally. The government panel will decide if Rubiales abuses authority by kissing Hermoso or damage the image of and reputation of Spain as a sporting event, as the government claims. He could be banned from office for two years. UEFA does not want Champions League games to match the World Cup with double-digit minutes of stoppage time that its top official call, quote, absolutely absurd. Adding so many extra minutes over a full season is bad for players' health, UEFA chief of football, Zlodomir Boban said. Quote, player welfare is really some kind of small tragedy. Boban, Boban a former AC Milan and Croatia star midfielder, said at a UEFA briefing on refereeing issues on the eve of the Champions League group stage draw. FIFA, refer FIFA pushed referees at the end at the men's and women's World Cups in the past nine months to let the game clock routinely run from the regulation 90 minutes to 100 plus minutes in the second half. FIFA wanted all goal celebrations, substitutions, injuries, and suspected time wasting taken into account. The policy has been backed by FIFA president Gianni Infantino. Locally, Revolution midfielder Noel Buck was called up to England's under-19 team to compete in the friendly matches against, uh, against Germany and Switzerland in Valencia, Spain. The 18-year-old, Arlington, Massachusetts native, who has dual citizenship because his father was born in the United Kingdom, will be the only American to represent the Young Lions. Buck attended Revolution, Revolution Academy and signed to play with the USL team Revolution 2 at age 16, the youngest academy graduate to do so. He earned an appointment to the U.S. Under-19 team in July of 2022. Buck is in his second season in MLS. He has made 24 MLS appearances, recording two goals and one assist. Buck remains a candidate to play for the U.S. in the 2026 World Cup. Gilberto Hernandez, a defender on Panama's men's national team, was killed when a gunman opened fire on a group of people gathered in the country's violent port city of Colón. Authorities announced the arrest of one suspect. Hernandez, 26, was with, was with friends when attackers in a taxi opened fire, according to police. Seven others were wounded. He was the second member of the national team, team killed in Cologne in the past six years. In 2017, midfielder Amilcar Henriquez was shot to death in the Cologne province. Inter-Miami is undefeated since Lionel Messi has arrived since mid-July. Recently, Inter-Miami played its best match of the season on the road against defend the defending MLS champions. Messi had two assists in front of a star-studded crowd of, in Inter-Miami's Inter 
3-1 victory over the LA Football Club. Fegundo Farias, Jordi Alba, Leonardo Campana also scored for Miami, which hasn't lost in its last 11 matches across all competitions. Ryan Hollingshead scored for LAFC, which has dropped its last two. Miami's visit to Los Angeles was marked as one of the highlight games since Messi arrived. It was viewed by 22,921 fans, a record for LAFC's BMO Stadium. It also vaulted into one of the most demanded tickets in the 27-year history of the Major League Soccer. According to TickPick, the average purchase price for the match was $717, which is, which was, 550% more than the $110 before Messi signed. By comparison, Beyonce's concert at SoFi Stadium had an average purchase price of $493. Among the celebrities in attendance was Britain's Prince Harry, LAFC co-owner Will Ferrell, Leonardo DiCaprio, Selena Gomez, Owen Wilson, Mario Lopez, and Edward Norton, as well as former Ted Lasso stars Jason Sudeikis and Brendan Hunting, who were also at the game. Well, ladies and gentlemen, as I noted at the opening here, uh, I will be doing some some news, as I just did, and and some analysis. And I kind of touched upon this uh, in the opening part about messy mania. Um, I'm not going to repeat myself here, but my goodness, uh, uh, this is arguably one of the top three moments in American soccer in terms of the impact of the game here in the United States. The first being, arguably, the arrival of Pelé uh, with the New York Cosmos. Second, David Beckham. David Beckham. And then last but not least here, we see Lionel Messi. Now, it's open to conjecture. It's open to discussion. open to all kinds of wonderful analysis and, and conversations over a, a cup of coffee or a glass of wine, which one of those three is the most impactful. But uh, you might be okay, even in this early stage, to say this arrival uh, of, of this particular player, that being Lionel Messi, is the single most impactful uh, event in uh, the history of the game here in the United States of America. Now, I am old enough. I don't say that too often, but I am old enough to have been have borne witness uh, to each one of these three. Uh, I was a young man when when Pelé arrived, and I remember all the fanfare uh, that took place. I recall, you know, his first professional match with with the New York Cosmos, and having seen him live uh, here uh, in the Boston area when he did play professionally here uh, uh, with the North American Soccer League. And I do recall, obviously, the arrival of David Beckham, who still, you know, as some might say, was still in his prime. Um, certainly elevated the game uh, in, in all facets uh, rapidly. And now we have Lionel Messi. Uh, and uh, Barring the unforeseen, heck, uh, the best may be, may be yet to come. They're in a battle right now for a, a final uh, playoff spot in Major League Soccer, but uh, given the role that they're on and the number of high-level players that have come in to complement Lionel Messi, uh, it's uh, a strong wager. A strong wager, I think, that uh, they will make. Uh, they'll make the MLS playoffs, and after that, it's uh, it's going to be real interesting. Uh, fairy tale ending, fairy tale. They make the playoffs. They make a playoff run. We see them in the MLS Cup final against well, fill in the blank, and they win it all. They win the MLS Cup. Far fetched. I don't know. I don't know. It remains to be seen. Well, I'm Giovanni Pacini. This has been Soccer News and Analysis. Next up, the EPL and Euro Report with Rob Ellis. Don't you dare go anywhere.
Welcome to the GP Soccer Podcast, English and European Football Roundup, with your host, Rob Ellis. Hi everyone and greetings from London. This is Rob Ellis signing in for the new season. I'm delighted that my good friend Giovanni Puccini has once again called upon my services for what is sure to be another informative and insightful season of the fantastic GP Soccer Podcast. I'll be with you all every week with my European Soccer Roundup. Each week I aim to keep you up to date with the hot topics this side of the Atlantic. Whether it be what's making the headlines, the latest tactical trends, or coach, team and player case studies, I hope to give you all a fast fix of all things European. This week we're going to limber up with a stroll across Europe's six major leagues. With each of these leagues up and running, and whilst all teams are still on a relatively even keel, what better time could there be to preview and predict the season ahead? We'll be stamping our passports in England, Spain, Italy, Germany, France and Portugal before touching down back in the States before you know it. So buckle up and let's go. The English Premier League is gearing up for the fourth round of fixtures in what is likely to be a hugely open competition at both ends of the table. Newly promoted Luton Town, Sheffield United and Burnley have all started slowly and face the likelihood of a relegation slog from now until the end of the season. After overpowering Arsenal late on last season and with the beastly Erling Haaland spearheading their attack, Manchester City are the overwhelming favourites to land another EPL title. Arsenal look most likely to lead the chasing pack with a whole host of other teams right in the mix should they find consistency over the course of the season. In the chasing pack, Brighton, Aston Villa, West Ham and Brentford have all started the season brightly and are very likely to blacken a few eyes before the ultimate prize is handed out next May. So in the EPL, my tip for the top three is Man City to finish in first place, Arsenal in second and Liverpool in third. Over in Spain, in La Liga, it would take a punter with far more imagination than me to predict a top three outside of Barcelona, Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid. Although Barcelona won the title by a comfortable 10 points ahead of Real Madrid last season, they never fully convinced many Spanish analysts and the jury is still out on their manager, Xavi Hernandez. With 14 Champions League titles to their name, Real Madrid will be hard to ignore as potential ECL winners again, particularly under the wily old fox Carlo Ancelotti, who seems as hungry as ever for glory. Across town at Atletico, Diego Simeone is celebrating his 12th year as manager and they've started the season in spectacular fashion, thrashing Real Vallecano 7-0 last night. Real Sociedad could threaten the top three under the leadership of club legend Imanol, who has a strong squad at his disposal. However, sadly, I see no change to the top three come the end of the season. I'm tipping Real Madrid to emerge as champions, Barcelona as the runners-up, and Atletico Madrid to roll in in their customary third place. In Italy, after a 33-year wait, Napoli were crowned Serie A champions for the first time since the days of Diego Maradona, Careca and Alemão. Napoli were the standout team in Italy last year 
amassing an impressive 90 points as they finished a whopping 16 points ahead of Lazio in second place. Neither Inter nor AC Milan ever totally convinced last season as they finished in third and fourth place respectively and both will need stronger squads and better players if they are serious about winning a league title this time round. Roma can be a threat on any given day. However, under the legendary but increasingly cantankerous Jose Mourinho, they're a good tip for club glory rather than the league title crown. Since returning to Juventus in 2021, Massimiliano Allegri has endured two relatively poor seasons. With 4th and 8th place finishes in their last two seasons and a shocking 18 league defeats in this time, Juventus will really need Paul Pogba fit and firing if they're to grace the top of the table again this season. That said, I am tipping Juventus to improve this time round and finish in 3rd place, with Napoli finishing runners-up to the champions into Milan. After a spectacular final day triumph last season, FC Hollywood, also known as Bayern Munich, will be full of vigour as they prepare for week three of the Bundesliga season. Their Bundesliga monopoly could and probably should have been ended last season by Borussia Dortmund, who were inspired throughout the campaign by wonder kid Jude Bellingham. Despite the eventual signing of Harry Kane, Bayern are not totally sure of themselves if you go beneath the bravado. Dortmund have a talented squad at their disposal, including the American international Gio Reyna, and they seriously rattled Bayern last season. Dortmund have goal scorers from midfield, but decisively they do not have a goal machine in the mould of Harry Kane, who's already notched three goals in his first two games. The Bundesliga is always an interesting league to follow, despite Bayern's omnipotence with seemingly all other positions up for grabs. Predictions from positions two downwards will be hard, and unlike in many other European leagues, newly promoted clubs like Heidenheim and Darmstadt have a fighting chance of avoiding the drop. RB Leipzig are always a threat domestically, but they'll have to be on their toes this time round to keep Urs Fischer's ever-improving Union Berlin from snatching third place from them. And with that in mind, I'm going to throw Union Berlin in as my wild card. I think they're going to finish the season third, behind Dortmund in second place, and obviously Thomas Tuchel's Bayern Munich will come out as champions. Much like in Germany, Ligue 1 in France has one standout team in the mega-rich PSG and a whole host of other teams that will have to fight tooth and nail for a shot at second place. Fortunes fluctuate quickly in France with the top six places up for grabs every season and notoriously hard to predict. With only three ECL spots open to French teams and with Marseille already eliminated in qualifying, the teams in the top half of the French league know that European glory is a long shot. Luis Enrique has been brought into PSG to oversee their transition from unlovable Galacticos to what their billionaire owners will hope will become lovable ECL champions. Marseille, Monaco, Lyon, Rennes, Lille and at a stretch Nice will all fancy their chances of upsetting PSG this year should they start slowly amidst the head-swirling departures of Leo Messi and Neymar. At the bottom of the table in France, last year's bottom three of Angers, Troyes and Ajaccio were well off the pace, which highlights the huge gulf between Ligue 1 
and League 2 teams graphically. With an abundance of cash at their disposal, PSG are likely to claim another French title, but they look to be some way off Europe's other elite clubs. This year I tip PSG to finish first, with Rennes in second place and Marseille coming in in third place. Over in Portugal, the established top three of Benfica, Porto and Sporting Lisbon were disturbed last season by the occasional gate crashes of Braga, who booked their spot in this year's Champions League. In recent times, it's been a case of pick a name from the big three to predict the Portuguese champions. But this season, Braga, under the guidance of homegrown coach and former player Arta George, could target a place in the top three and possibly really threaten a position at the top of the table if they can start fast. Vitoria have established themselves over the past seasons as the most reliable performer outside the big four and with three wins out of three already under their belt they currently sit on top of Liga Portugal. Famalicão are also steady performers in the chasing pack but in Portugal much like in Scotland the scale and resources available to the biggest clubs make it nigh on impossible for a smaller club to even dream of glory and silverware. I would like to predict a shock in Portugal this season, but predicting the top three is seemingly an inevitable choice. Both Benfica and Sporting Lisbon impressed me greatly in European competitions last season, and this has somewhat swayed my thinking in predicting the following. Benfica will emerge as champions. Sporting, I see as an improving team, will finish in second place. And Porto, who are not in a vintage era for them, will finish in third place. As the summer begins to fade here in England and the drizzle soaks our soccer pitches, I'm starting to get that familiar start of season excitement. I'm hoping for a season full of excitement and headlines made for all the right reasons. Enjoy yourself in the States, ladies and gentlemen, and speak to you all next week. Take care and bye for now. Hey everyone, this is Dan Abrahams of the Dan Abrahams Soccer Academy. I am so thrilled to be speaking with Giovanni Pacini of the GP Soccer Podcast. And welcome back to the GP Soccer Podcast. Many, many thanks to my great friend and colleague, Rob Ellis, for yet again another outstanding segment of the English Premier League Euro Report. Uh, something that I, I know I look forward to each and every week. Um, a little while back, uh, I announced all of, all of, to all of you that I was very lucky uh, to have secured a spot on WMEX AM 1510 here in the Boston area with a new soccer show called Direct Kick. Well, um, like a lot of things in life, things sometimes don't work out the way you hope. Um, so therefore, I'm, I'm kind of disappointed to say to all of you that that uh, particular program that I was uh, proudly a part of for, heck, about 25 episodes uh, is no longer available. Uh, I'm very proud of the work that I did. I'm uh, very thankful to the management over at WMEX for allowing me the opportunity uh, to put forth a soccer show on the great MEX. Uh, great public thank you to my show producer, Ben Rabinovitz, who uh, is just a tireless professional workhorse uh, without whom I could not have done the show. But as I say, sometimes things just don't work out uh, the way you hope. But as you know, you can always find me here in the GP Soccer Podcast. My goodness, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. 
Listen, that's our show for today. The kickoff show of season nine. Uh, listen, if you like what you hear, my goodness, please tell everyone. Remember, you can follow the GP Soccer Podcast all over social media and new episodes are available every single Wednesday. If you, you coach, have got a question that you'd like to have answered on Coach's Corner, email me at gp4soccer, and that's the number four, at yahoo.com. This is your host, Giovanni Puccini, and goodness knows, I will catch you later. 